Hey guys, welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series, 10 episode deep dive on the Galveston and Crystal Beach, Texas markets. Couple notes before we dive in. If you guys are looking for current income and current prices of properties in this market, you can get all of that info on our website at theshorttermshop.com. You can set up searches just like you do on Zillow or realtor.com, all those places. And we do have all the income data as well. So be sure to check that out. Also make sure you check out our other special episode series. So we have 20 markets that we operate as real estate agents in, and we have 10 episode series just like this one on all of those. Make sure to check out the short-term show as well as the short-term rental management show, and be sure to join our Facebook group. It's called Short-Term Rental Long-Term Wealth. Same title as my book. Now let's go ahead and dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Show special episode series on the Galveston and Crystal Beach market. And today we are going to go into the numbers. We're going into the income numbers. We're not going into the expenses. That is a different episode that will be directly after this. So stay tuned. But today we're going to talk about uh, numbers, income. I just said that. Sorry. So we've got a really cool cast of characters here to help us with that. Uh, first, we'll introduce Kelsey Ardwin. You guys are going to be familiar with her from previous episodes, but Kelsey, go ahead and introduce yourself if people skip straight to the numbers episode, which a lot of people probably will. Hi, my name is Kelsey Ardwin. I am a short-term shop realtor in the Galveston Crystal Beach market. I've been helping people buy uh, short-term rentals in this market for about two years now, and I own two here myself and one in the Smokies. All right. And next, we have Patricia Berman. Patricia, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Hi, my name is Patricia Berman. I am a short-term rental owner. I have a a place in Crystal Beach, Texas that I purchased and is performing really well. And um, that's who I I love love hosting. (laughs) Awesome. And you live in Denver, right? You're in Colorado? Yes, I live in Denver. Cool. So I'm hosting remotely. Badass. And last but not least, you guys, if you've listened to other other market series that we've done on the numbers episode, we have John Bianchi. John, you introduce yourself to those who may not be familiar yet. Sure thing. Um, my name is John Bianchi. I'm the Airbnb data guy. At least that's uh, the tag that I go with. And uh, I live and breathe Airbnb data. That's all I do. So I'm the head of data for TechVestor, which is the largest short-term rental investment fund in America. I've helped buy uh, about 120 properties in the past 18 months. We've spent about $60 million. And we have data out on about 72 of those properties to say exactly how well we performed. Uh, and we're 72 for 72 right now. So every single one of those last properties is a profitable cash flowing property. And it's my job to you know identify what's the best market to go into, what's the best property to purchase, and how to maximize the revenue of those properties. And so my predictions on all of those properties has been 25% conservatively. So if I thought the property is going to make $100,000, we actually end up making $125,000, which is exactly where I want to be without getting into all all the details. But I just explained all that simply to say that uh, I live and breathe Airbnb data. I love doing this and I love coming onto this show and actually talking about these different neighborhoods and going into it. And so uh, looking forward to it for this one as well. Awesome. Thank you all so much for being here. So before we jump straight into John's analysis, let's talk a little bit about the actual metrics that people use when they're analyzing short-term rentals. So the most used metric I think is going to be cash on cash return. And 
that is basically the amount of money that you put down at the beginning of your deal. So whether that's that's your down payment, your closing costs, any make ready costs that you have versus the amount of money at the end of the year that you have in your bank account after your mortgage. So keep in mind that cash on cash returns are going to be different for different people could be the exact same property, exact same purchase price, but they can be different based on things about your loan, like the amount that you put down and things like that. So they're very, it, it's what we like to use to analyze, but keep in mind, they're very easily manipulated. You can get a higher cash on cash return just by putting down less without really even doing anything to the property. Or if you want to get a higher cash flow and you put down like 30 or 40%, your cash on cash return isn't going to look great, but you're making more money per month. So it's a very subjective thing. And you really have to kind of look at what works for you because there's really no real rule of thumb that works for everyone. So keep that in mind. Um, some of the benchmarks I think are around the like the 10 or 15% cash on cash return range, depending on uh, who you're talking to or what you're looking at. For me, when I'm looking at properties, I'm not looking at what their current cash on cash return is with the numbers that the current owner is getting. I'm looking more for the opportunity in that property. Like, okay, well, what can I do? Can I, what can I do to get this property to like a 20%? Can I update the decor? Can I add another bedroom? You know, is there an extra room we can do that? Can I add a pool? Can I add amenities? Things like that. So as short-term rentals have become more of an established asset class, you're really shopping more for the opportunity than you are what's laying around and how it's performing now. So does anybody have anything to add to that? I, I do a version of the enemy method, except it's not really, you know, what are the people charging? I am looking to suss out potential. So if I'm looking at, say, a four-bedroom house, it's not beachfront. I would be clicking around, hovering. I mean, I'm not maybe interested unless, you know, revenue is something like 90,000 plus. And if I'm looking, you know, can I mimic their success? So I hover around in AirDNA till I get to an interesting property. And then I ask myself, can I do what they're doing at this property? Oh, well, that's Patricia's property doing 140 something thousand. And she's beachfront. So I, I can't do that with my row eight property, but I'll keep looking until I find one that is doing well. So I'm just like proving out that it's possible with a property like this, if I can mimic their success. So that's kind of how I suss out property potential. Um, and I don't, that is my best case scenario kind of running numbers. And then I, I'll run more conservative numbers. So I have kind of like a low version of like a safe version of what the numbers will be. And then I'll have a aspirational <laughs> where I think I can take it. Yeah. yeah that. that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I do the same thing in air DNA where I go and I look at the top performing properties and I'm looking for the ones that are comparable to the property that I was, you know, analyzing. And then I pull them up and I go through their um, Airbnb listing to see what it is, what it is that's pulling that money. So um, yeah. Okay. And I do the exact same thing, just to the extreme. I just take it <laughs> a lot further. <laughs> like, Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? What does uh, that mean? I, I mean, like, do you when you use Air DNA, do you pull the data out of Air DNA and put it into a spreadsheet by any chance? No. No. Do you remove the bad data as you're doing it as you're going through? Also, can you describe what bad data is for you? Yes. Uh, yep. So bad data for anyone who doesn't know is 
let's actually I'll explain good data and then everything else that doesn't meet those requirements is what I refer to as bad data or useless data. So good data is when you've had a you have a full-time host who and we've been tracking their listing for over almost a full year. So you've got a full-time host and it's been tracked for a full year. So every single Airbnb data provider that's out there uses an algorithm to be able to go into the calendar of every single Airbnb that exists in the world. And it records their calendar every single day. And so uh, let's say that it records the calendar on day one and it sees that every single day is available and you have it available for $100 every single night. It then comes back the next day and sees that one day is blocked off. And when it sees that one day that's blocked off, it assumes that that was a booking and you booked it for $100. And so then therefore, they're going to record that as revenue. $100 $100 plus whatever the cleaning fee is, right? And then they're going to continue to do this every single day for 365 days. If you can, if they do that, that's going to give you the annual revenue number, right? Now, you also need to double check that the they've been tracking a listing that has a full-time host, not a part-time host. And the way that you do that is you simply go into the reviews of the, of the Airbnb and you see that there's been a review every single month for the past 12 months, ideally two to three reviews every single month. When you can see that, you know that that listing has been rented out full time and it's been tracked for almost an entire year. And when you get those two things combined together, that's when you have good data. And then you can rely on that data to make a decision. And then the other thing that you asked there about like extracting the data, what I'll do is I'll take all that good data out. I'll put it onto a spreadsheet so I can see it right next to each other. And then it makes it really easy to find a pattern. So yeah. I do a light, light version of that, more of an anecdotal version. So when I'm looking at a property um, and it's rented at, like it's available for rent, which, you know, if you just hover over, it shows a, you know, a preview of the property. And in that little data block, it'll show that the property is available for like, say, 340 plus days. If it's available for like 340 something days, not that that's my only one, but you know, at that point, I know that that's somebody who's doing business. There's really not much personal use at all. So that's so, sort of why I qualify that it's hopefully a business. Um, that's actually, that's that logically makes sense. However, uh, if you follow that, you can get tripped up very easily. Okay. And the reason being is because the alg- if somebody is a part-time airbnb their listing can still be available for 365 days. The algorithm actually doesn't know the difference most of the time. And so uh, let's use a college town as an example. In a college town, there's like eight football games every single year. And a lot of people who live really close to those stadiums will rent out their homes for the weekend. And so they have this listing that's available for uh, just those eight weekends. But what they're doing in the off season or on the weekdays is they're actually just blocking off the calendar. And so when they initially put the listing out, they put it out as available and then they go in and they block all the days. And so then the algorithm actually picks that up and thinks of it as a big old booking, right? Or like a a massive booking across all these different times. And so now what it's doing is it's recording all of these bookings that are actually just somebody blocking their days. And so uh, this is the example I'm using this because I almost made this mistake. So I actually almost bought or rented a property for $7,000 a month, two of them in a college town because the data was telling me that the properties there can make anywhere from $150,000 to $200,000 a year. But what was happening is that they're renting out their property for around $2,000 a night on these eight weekends. And then, but that was their price for the entire year. And so when they would block off the weekdays, it was showing up as like this five night, $2,000 a night booking that was allowing them to make all this additional money. And so the algorithm can, it tries its best to be able to avoid this, these scenarios. It tries its best, but it still screws up aggressively. And so 
Um, if you were to like the easiest and quickest way is how many reviews do they have? Right. So if you were to see a listing that's been, oh, I call it days tracked, but days available is the same thing. So when I say days tracked, I'm referring to the thing that says days available on AirDNA. Um, and, and if you were to look at one that's available for 340 days, but then it has 10 reviews, that one, you know, without a doubt is a part-time Airbnb listing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You I actually more do have a question. How does it get skewed the other way? Because I notice that some properties it's showing much lower revenue than I know that for instance, my property on AirDNA is showing as having much lower revenue than I know that it actually does. What does it show? I don't recall what it was showing, but it was like less than a hundred thousand. And how so was your property doing? Off. Can we talk about that since this is yeah. the numbers episode? <laughs> <laughs> how well is your property doing? How well is my property? Oh, so yeah. we are on track to um for this calendar year, we have $144,000 in bookings and we should get a few more between now and the end of the year. So I'm going to say we're probably on track to do 150. And how big is your property? It's a four bedroom, three bath in Crystal Beach. Nice. That's uh, before we hopped on here, I was kind of talking about that's the ideal purchase. I I can get into more details on that, but you're also like, I I did give you say this already, but I want to say this while it's being recorded. That's very, very impressive to hit those numbers for that area because you're, you are a top comp. Uh, for your bedroom size and like the type of property you have, which means you're a really good Airbnb host for that market. Thank you. We're doing really well. We, I mean, I love the area. Crystal Beach has been an amazing um, addition to my short-term rental portfolio. I'm super happy with the performance. I think that when I was purchasing um, at the end of 2021, I was calculating, I was figuring that we would probably do 120. And it has outperformed for the past two years. So super Which, happy. So kind of to touch on that as well, where you were assuming 120 and you hit your hit your king closer to 140 is it the reason that's interesting is because um I did look up the saturation levels of the Crystal Beach market and it's down by 3.45%. So it's down by 3%, which means year over year, the revenue is a little bit less than the increase in supply. Now that at first glance, you're probably like, oh, that's scary. It's down a little bit, but being down 3% is literally nothing. Like it's not, it's not anything to be worried about. It's not anything to like run away from. The interesting thing is that the number of active rentals has hardly changed over the past uh, year and a half, two years. Like it's gone up since in the past year and a half, I think it's only gone up by a max of 200 additional listings, which is really not a crazy amount of additional listings into that market. And so um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not oversaturated. Uh, it, it is a little bit coming down, but yet you're still seeing an increase in your revenue year over year. year which, well, year yeah. over year and month over month was, I mean, it's been doing amazing. I wish I would have bought two. <laughs> not too late. Uh, how did it do yeah, in Kelsey 2022? Because you, you were live for all or almost all of 2020. Almost all. So I went live in February, uh, mid-February of 2022. And hold on, 133,000 is what yes. I closed in 2022. And that's considering that we, um, I didn't go live until mid-February. And so. you have the ramp up phase as well, right? Where that, you know, the first few months, you're just kind of getting the gotta bookings get in and all that in. Kind of Got to get those reviews yeah. in, but people love to the property. So it was... Yeah. And I would assume that the slow season's January, February within Crystal Beach. It is. That'd be right. Yeah. 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 So 
Yeah. It sounds like your property is doing uh, either as well as it did in 2022 as it did in 2023, regardless of the fact that the market's slightly dipped. But I don't think that, again, it's not something to be concerned about. And I'm not surprised that you're not seeing any of that in your numbers either. Um, because I think that the when a market does dip a little bit, the people who really get hurt are the people with the iPhone photos, right? That with the really old furniture that didn't don't have a good listing. Those are the people that are really getting are, are feeling it way more than anybody else, right? Um, also, right. we're kind of going to like an economic downturn in a little bit, a little bit of a, you know, we can all sort of feel that right around now. So it's understandable for the, the numbers to crunch in a little bit. So just anyone who is thinking about numbers and reviewing it, just the idea of maybe taking a 10% to 15% cut of what you expect is, could be like a safe play moving forward, right? Like, like I was saying, when I do my analysis, um, I'm I'm always 25% conservative with every one of every single one of my predictions. Kelsey, even you said that you'll you'll say like, hey, I think it's gonna do this, but then you'll kind of bring it down. I know that's a typical standard thing to do in real estate, but it's more prevalent with the year that we are likely going into at this time. That's the way I kind of see it. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times what I what my husband and I end up doing is we'll run numbers on a property and I want to at least break even at 50th percentile revenue. And then I'm aiming to do 75 percentile or better. So I'm along the same lines of just being really conservative about what I buy. Yeah, That's good. I think that does make sense. Um, I was I thought that I was doing the same in Crystal Beach, which I think <laughs> worked itself out really well. Um, and I just think that yeah, it's good to be on the conservative side, but ultimately what you're looking at is like you're growing this business over a period of time. First year, you know, I'm excited for what the business is going to do next year and the year after that when, you know, some of this um, economic shrinkage is going to relieve itself, right? Well, and I want to, I want to talk about that just for a minute because there's a lot of people who are worried about it. And I, want to kind of point something out. I went through COVID, which was the worst of the worst. I always kind of say it's like going through the Great Depression. You know what I mean? Like you're forever concerned about a downturn and everything moving forward with an Airbnb business. And the the people who uh, were able to make it through COVID had the greatest year for their portfolio ever the following you know year, right? They, were, they absolutely did amazing. Whether they were out in Gatlinburg where it completely blew up. And then once the the cities were reopened, those people absolutely did amazing. So the idea of being able to get through some sort of hardship or some sort of hard time um, is something that you should really focus on for your business, your Airbnb business, so that you can benefit from that, right? If you can just make it through the hard time and plan on that, then everything else kind of works out very easily, right? That's the easy part. So the way I've kind of been explaining it to people is like, you know, I used to be in finance before this and in finance, you have to study the market. Uh, You have to go back and study the markets over the years and be able to understand patterns and and whatnot. And every eight to 10 years is always an economic downturn that happens no matter what. So we are going to, without a doubt, at some point in time, hit some sort of economic downturn that's going to really hurt the travel industry and also every other industry, right? Across the board. And so you just have to be mentally prepared for that and also have your property prepared for that. And I think one of the best ways to be prepared for it is to have a property that people would still be willing to book even in an economic downturn. So because people are people still travel during COVID when you weren't allowed to move, right? It's like, hey, you're not allowed to go anywhere, but people are still booking Airbnbs. And so my take is if we have an ec- economic downturn, people are still going to be traveling. You just want to be one of those homes that still gets booked during that time frame. So you can keep covering all of your bills, keep making maybe a little bit of profit. And then as soon as we things start to pick up, you're going to start 
you know, getting back to that easy time frame, and you'll have a really strong, thriving business. So like that's my game plan and Techfester's game plan and everything for what we're headed into. So just want to throw that out there because it's a a lot of people are talking about that nowadays. So we have a whole episode dedicated to how you do exactly that. But to touch on it briefly, in Crystal Beach, it's by monetizing your property. Does it look like a good time? Does it look like vacation? Um, owners who come in and they buy a very simple house. And even if they decorate it really well inside, if that's all it is, is a really nice place to sleep, they will lose out to properties that may not have as nice of finishes or maybe not as decorator approved interior design as if it has fun things to do. Do you have outdoor games, a tiki bar? Is there a hot tub? Is there, you know, anything? What? Yeah. What, what is there built into the property that's already there that they don't have to pack that they come and do? Why would they get off their couches at home, pack all of their kids and drive an hour or two to come to Crystal Beach just to have a good time? Something yeah. that their house doesn't have. The way I like to think about that as well is that uh, everyone's going for the beach. So everyone has the beach, right? But once they're not at the beach, they're at your property. What can they do at your property in the evenings, in the mornings? on a rainy day, that's going to make you a little bit more competitive in comparison to everyone else. That's what's going to allow you to make more money, right? Yes. And actually, I wanted to speak to that because I, um, speaking of opportunity, <laughs> I, I want to put in a hot tub at my beach property, which it doesn't have. It's performed really well. But in order to, I see that opportunity there, I think for even my property to say like, yeah. okay, well, you know what? Next year, I'm going to put in a hot tub and we're going to increase those numbers during the shoulder seasons. And um, yeah, it's super exciting. But when you're talking about like an 18%, I think that was my first year, 18% cash on cash return. And then year two would be if we're calculating cash on cash return based on year two's numbers, we're looking at like something like 20%. So um, there's room there. That's the beauty of short-term rentals, right? Like <laughs> there's room there for a little dip when, you know, as opposed buy- to sometimes long-term rentals, those numbers are a little bit tighter. And mm-hmm. when you're going through an economic downturn or for whatever reason you can't fill a unit, it becomes a little bit more impactful. And just want to throw out there, you said that's the beauty of short-term rentals. I agree, but that's if you do your homework and you buy the right short-term rental in the right location and you put it together properly. That's the part that sure. I feel like anyone more people miss that like, part. <laughs> oh, it's so annoying, right? The, anyone who complains that Airbnb is dead, missed that part. You know what I mean? They didn't get that <laughs> task, right? They're like, Oh, I'm supposed to put work into this thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? they, like, they think it's a rotisserie chicken and it is not, you're not going <laughs> to set it and forget it. Like some kind of info. <laughs> it is active income. It does. It does take a lot of work. So I've been an executive assistant in finance for over 20 years. And I found that when I moved into hosting my own short-term rentals, I was like, oh my gosh, like almost hundred percent of my skills are transferable. And I love this because I loved my career as well. So I'm just like, okay, but this isn't necessarily for everyone if you're not willing to participate and like do the analysis, be, stay engaged with the clients, the guests, um, and and do the work. So yeah. Yeah. And what I always, always say, and obviously I'm biased by saying this, but I think I'm right, is that if you just put in all of the work up front to understand the data before you buy the property, you can figure everything else out afterwards. So in other words, you you spend 
Don't like study how to message a guest and how to clean a home before you ever get your first Airbnb. Study the data, study how to uh, how to actually analyze that information to be able to pick the right property. Then once you've picked it, then you can figure everything else out, right? Because now you know you have a property that's actually going to work for you as long as you can then put the work into putting it together properly. So yeah, very well, biased. I know a book that, that people can read to... <laughs> figure some of that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's so John, let's dive into your analysis here. So okay. what did you find when you dug into the data in this market? So you know, talking a little bit about what Kelsey said there as well, where you know you want to create that experience that people want when they go to the area. Uh Crystal Beach sp- specifically has a lot of this inventory, which is those stilt homes that are colorful, right? That is really going to amplify somebody's experience when they're actually staying in this area. It's going to give them something that's very different than what they get in a city, very different than what they get in the suburbs. It feels like they're actually at a beach town. And the reason I'm ampl- or talking about that to start off is because most of the top performing homes are that. They are those stilt homes, right? And then the next thing that people might be thinking is, well, do I need to be on the waterfront? Do not need to be on the waterfront. Um, and I almost always, I'm not, waterfront is to me, it's a little bit more of like a luxury purchase where the the property is always going to be a little bit more expensive, but the revenue isn't going to perfectly match up uh, with how much more you're paying, right? Whereas if you were to buy a property that's a block or two off of the water, the revenue is probably going to be a little bit lower lower than it, but the the price of the property is going to be a little bit, uh, quite a bit cheaper in comparison, right? So to me, I'm always looking for what is the most efficient thing to purchase within the market that I'm going into. And so my initial thoughts are, Hey, I want to have this still tone because that's clearly the most desirable thing to have. And then on top of that, I want to get a good price for my property. So I'm going to buy the property that's probably one to maybe two blocks off of the beach. And the reason being is because I actually noticed with most of these properties, if you're one or two blocks off, you can actually still see the beach most of the time. You can see the water kind of through the homes. And I'd be looking for a home that still had that ability of like the water view, but it wasn't um, um, on, the, on the beach, right? So I'm still like, in other words, you get the, that drone shot and you can very clearly see it's a two minute walk to the beach. Right. That for people who want uh, a little bit cheaper of a stay in comparison to that waterfront one, they're okay with walking that two minutes. And to me, that property is going to cost a lot less, but the revenue is still going to be very strong because of how close it is. And so that's what I'm I'm really keen on. And then what I also noticed was that the uh, four bedrooms w- seem to be like the sweet spot where the, the four bedrooms performed really well. I you know don't want to turn down anyone from buying a certain type of property, but the two bedrooms to me didn't seem like they made sense at all, unless you're going to be in a condo or something along those lines. But a three-bedroom had potential and a four-bedroom was a sweet spot. So it was like a four-bedroom seems to be where I'd want to be if I were to be buying a, a property. Um, and then, you know, that's Crystal Beach specifically that I was looking into. But then I started looking into Galveston. And uh, what I noticed was that the sort of downtown core, where those more suburban looking homes are within town, there weren't a lot of homes that were doing over 100,000. I have like this filter option. I can see all of the homes that are within the downtown area. And not a lot of them are doing over 100,000 in that area. But once you got past that, that would, it kind of turned into like Crystal Beach again, where the, you know, the stilt homes were performing really well, doing over 100,000. It was like the exact same buy box that way as well. And so if I were to be going into this market, I would ideally be trying to find something there. I can't say exactly what the revenue would be, but there was tons of homes doing from 80 all the way up to 120 plus. And so you're kind of falling within that range. And what I, the reason I kind of like the Crystal Beach market is because there's actually homes that cost under $500,000 that are, that somewhat meet that box or cost under $700,000 that meet that buy box. Like it's, it's, it's not completely over, uh, way higher than it actually should be where you see that in some of these other markets where the price of these properties are so high that 
you can't cash flow if you wanted to, right? Even with like the perfect purchase. So um, I find this area very interesting. I feel like if you really deep dived it and tried to understand the ins and outs, what's driving revenue, what's like a good a good purchase, you could find something that's very efficient to purchase in this property that would actually, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, within this market that would actually give you a, a nice return, similar to what Patricia had found. So um, yeah, that's my that's my take. Any questions, thoughts, rebuttals? No, I think Do you agree, right disagree? Four bedroom walkable to the beach. So, you know, it's south of Highway 87 in Crystal Beach. Um, you're, you're a smart guy. That's exactly <laughs> what the numbers told you what I tell everyone all the time. Perfect. So four bedroom close, like walkable to the beach, close to the beach guys is not a five minute drive and bright colored. What about, what did you see in terms of amenities? Um, so I feel like I say this every time we go into the, one of these markets, there's not a lot of amazing listings, which is to me always the best thing because so some, some markets, as an example, Scottsdale, if you're looking at Scottsdale, almost every single listing you're going to pop open, at least at the top, like hundred to 300 are all going to be unbelievable listings. Right. Whereas when I was looking at all the top performing listings in crystal beach, a lot of them were average and like they were, you know, they, they're, they're using the fact that they're walkable to the beach as a way to drive their revenue and they're not doing much else. Right. So I love seeing that because they go, oh, cool, perfect opportunity to be able to completely destroy my competition in this area. Right. And get easy bookings. My take is and, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with Rob built Rob Abasolo on his Crystal Beach property um, and kind of like explored some of the different amenities that work there. And I think what's really smart is to take that spot that's underneath the property. So under where the stilts are and make it into a straight up oasis. You've got like the the palm sort of a, a tiki bar sort of setup that you could put down there. You can put tons of hanging lights down there. You can put a ton of seating. You could even put like a pool table or, or a ping pong table if you wanted to, a bar setup, uh, a hot tub down there, a you know neon lights, like greenery down there. All of these, even a propane fire pit, all of these things, in my opinion, is the greatest space because if it rains, you can use all of that, right? And if it doesn't rain, then that's your spot where everyone's going to go hang out all evening. So they're going to hang out at the beach all day. Then they're going to barbecue, eat outside, hang out outside in that little space underneath there. And it's going to feel really cool because you're going to make it look really cool, right? It's going to feel sort of tropical to it. And then um, in that little backyard space there, I can't say that there's one thing specifically like this is the thing, but if I if it was my property, I'd be, probably be focusing in on a, uh, a fire pit, a nice, well put together, good fire pit within that range, if it's allowed. I don't know if it is, but I'm pretty sure I saw that quite a few people had them. So I think the most important thing is just simply good design, good photos. Those are always like one and two. And the design is stupid easy for this market. It's just the beach look. You know what I mean? That's everyone just wants that beach look. You don't have to go over the top. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to go over the top on the design. Just go over the top on the uh, underneath those stilts and really bring it into a place that people want. Yeah. I tell people that every day. It's not just a place to sleep. It's got to be a place to vacation. Yeah. hundred percent. So since you mentioned looking at other people's listings and seeing a lot of bad photos, let's touch on the enemy method for a second. So there's a lot of great data out there that John is really, really good at organizing and reading. And, but there's definitely a qualitative aspect to analyzing properties also and analyzing what properties can do because the data can tell you 
the what, but it can't tell you the why. So the data can't tell you, well, it performed like this because the pictures are terrible. And if they were better and more inviting, people might click on the listing more and might book it more. And it can't tell you, oh, well, this property has a better, you know, better decor than the, than this property. So it's not, you're not going to be able to tell just from looking at data that why one four bedroom would perform better than another four bedroom. So when you use the enemy method, what you're doing is you're getting on the OTAs, which is Airbnb and Verbo, and you're looking at your neighbors or your enemies, because that's more fun to say than the neighbor method. And you're basically, to put it in its simplest form, you're looking at what you can do for your property that will make a potential guest book you instead of them. So that's good photos, good decor, all those amenities that he mentioned. And um, really a good listing. So it's really not difficult to do, but you, it can't just be that quantitative part of the data. You also have to look at the qualitative stuff about a property. Yeah. And I want to add to that by saying an Airbnb is a business. And in every single business, the business that wins is the one that adds the most value. So whichever one is providing more value to their client will win. So therefore, if you have an Airbnb and you're trying to beat your enemies, your competition, provide more value. How do you provide more value? You provide a larger couch for them to all sit on in comparison to the uncomfortable you know, three-seater couch that your competition has. Now you have a more cozy place, right? Take that same logic and apply it across everything. And that's how you beat your competition. It's really that simple. My property is a pretty good example of that. It's very amenitized, but not anything that's like crazy over the top. It's just, honestly, it's very well done. And I'm not even the one who decorated it. I bought it almost turnkey. Uh, we've added, you know, games and made it fun and done lots of other things. But for the most part, the decor is what it is today. Um, and I put mine in service almost at the same time as Patricia's. It's a four bedroom. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the things that um, like the advantages that some people's property have. It was uh, built in 2002. It has a three, two upstairs and then one garage has been converted to a bedroom and a half bath. So it's rents like four, two and a half and has a hot tub came with one. So I don't have any pre hot tub numbers. Um, but from March 1st to end of year in 2022, it did 86 K. And then in so far bookings for 2023, it's done 98 and a half K. And my husband is a really good property manager, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not impossible to do what we're doing. We made the right purchase. It was a purchase price of like 531. That's so it wasn't a crazy amount. It was just a very good, solid house. It has a lot of different hangout spaces, but it's nothing crazy. Like we don't have some like, I don't know, crazy cool pool or something like that. We have a hot tub. Anybody can go buy a hot tub and they got the money for it. You can put it just about anywhere on the ground floor. Um, we have a screened in patio. Anybody can make a screened in patio. Um, we have some hanging benches. Like it's not, it's not, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out that it looks like fun. And then we provide a lot of amenities, whether that's being kid friendly and having pack and play and a high chair and stuff like that. But we also just have a ton of games. Like for instance, my husband, if we're going to book somewhere, he's like, what activities will there be? Anytime we're going in, we have He wants to know what activities there will be. And so he's very activity heavy. There's ladder ball, there's cornhole, there's um, beach toys, there's chairs to take to the beach for every guest. If we sleep 12, we've got 12 chairs. Uh, we have a cooler. It's not a fancy cooler. The chairs aren't fancy. They're literally $6 Academy chairs. 
and we're just going to throw them away after a year because they'll be ruined. But, um, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy, but the idea that you don't have to pack it to, to show up and have it is very attractive to people. People appreciate that so much. Um, I've done some of the same high chair, pack and play, um, making sure there's beach toys for the kids, chairs. Um, one thing that I'm so adamant about is providing enough towels for people because, you know, we're a beach house. We provide beach towels. Also enough um, shower towel, like bath towels. Like, look at all this hair I have. I don't want to go and have like one little tiny towel and then my hair is like soaking wet. So um, I'm just try to do that. Even like little stuff, I put out uh, chips and salsa for my guests in a fruit bowl because it's just like, hey, once you get there, the party started like, and people love it. They just, you have to be thoughtful about the touches and they don't have to be super expensive, but they do have to be something, you know, to make people feel good. We have cornhole, um, hammocks are really great for when you're sitting on those decks People love, I mean, who doesn't love a hammock, right? So just. And that's not expensive. It doesn't have to cost a fortune. No. I would encourage people to buy a nice, comfortable couch, but not some like designer $15,000 couch that, you know, somewhat tells them that they need. Go spend spend $500 on fun outdoor stuff. Like I'm stocking a property right now and I bought some frisbees from academy that look like pizzas because that's fun. You know, people just want it to be fun. Yeah. I agree. It's it's funny Kelsey because my property was furnished when I bought it almost perfectly, almost too nice, right? Yeah. Like that couch the, there's a couch in there that I probably wouldn't purchase again because it's so nice, but um yeah, it's just people love that stuff, so it's good. <clears throat> yeah, I totally Totally agree with everything everybody said. Like, I've hardly had to even say anything on this episode. (laughs) Um, Is there anything before we go, because we are running out of time, is there anything that anybody feels like our listeners would benefit from hearing about this topic before we say goodbye? No? I would throw in to not just study the enemies within your market, but go look at markets that have higher quality listings and try to replicate what they're doing in your market. So- like I said, there's not a ton of properties in Crystal Beach that are best of the best, right? And so you're not going to be able to just look at them and find all these great ideas. But if you go to some other markets that are similar, beach markets that do have some of these stellar listings, you could bring some of those ideas over and that's going to put you ahead of everyone in Crystal Beach. Yeah, I've recommended this as well. Um, I sometimes tell people that to compete in the Smokies, because I'm in both markets um, as a as an investor, to compete in the Smokies, you really do have to have an A, A-plus type property. You you really can't be basic and get bookings. And Crystal Beach, I mean, you can still get them, but you're not going to get as many. I mean, that's anywhere. But in Crystal Beach, you can get away with it a little bit more. You can be a B-plus and still do okay. Um, but that's a clearly not ideal. Like it, It's a lot of low-hanging fruit that you could implement and make an okay property into a great property. And sometimes the numbers aren't even there yet. You know, the property that I purchased was not a short-term rental prior to me putting it into service. It was a property that was owned by grandparents who would host their grandchildren at the beach, um, beautifully designed, but 
I, there were, there was no track record to go off of. So just like analyzing the other properties that were performing in that market Mm -hmm. and then going off of what I knew that I could probably do, but I was going baseline off of like the 50th percentile. And then obviously hoping that um, the property would perform better. And it has. So exact same for me. It was not, it was not, uh, it was owned by a couple and they did not rent it out. Maybe like super occasionally to friends who directly asked them about it, but it was not anything that they advertised or had on any booking platforms. And to quote someone I know, rental history is just what one random property owner did with one random property. It does not mean that that is what you will do. Right. All really, really great advice. Well, guys, thank you so, so much for your time as usual. And if you guys are ready to buy a property in this market with Kelsey, you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we will connect you. Um, John and Patricia, where can people find you guys if they want to follow you and uh, follow along your journeys here? Sure. I'm at, um, at P underscore Mojo, M-O-J-O on Insta. Oh, nine. At, <laughs> at P underscore Mojo, M-O-J-O, O nine on Instagram or Patricia at CobosCoHosting.com. All right, John. Uh, anyone who has found anything interesting that I said today and wanted to learn more, get more into the weeds of my processes and systems, I strongly recommend that you look up my name on YouTube and go through one of my three free Airbnb data courses or any of my videos because I pretty much only put out process-driven videos. And uh, you can learn a lot more there. And then once you've learned all of that, you can reach out once you have a base and good understanding of Airbnb data. You can also follow me at the Airbnb data guy. So, yeah. All right. Or if you want to just hang out with all of us on Facebook, you can do that in our Facebook group. It's the same title as my book behind me, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Or we also have a uh, live Q&A every Thursday. And you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. 